God only helps those who help themselves. But is that really in the Bible? Thank you for joining me on episode 47 of the Unique on a Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. Today on this Sermon Thoughts edition, we explore the phrase, God only helps those who help themselves, and how it is fake news. Rachel Gentleman filling in for Pastor Chris today. Am I on? Good. Okay. Fantastic. I have to tell you, so before this service, in between the two services, I was staring and staring down Jim back there, and I had my hot tea in my hand, and I ran into a pole and smacked my forehead and spilled tea all over myself. <laughs> And I had to call my husband, have you left yet? Because I need new clothes. I was soaked. And uh, so I've got burn cream on. I should be good. But if you see my arm twitching, it's not the Holy Spirit. I'm just adjusting myself. Okay. Well, again, I'm Rachel filling in for Pastor Chris, and we are continuing our series on fake news. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll also be in Romans chapter 5 today. So stick your thumb in there. And as we talk about fake news, we're not talking about the fake news of the Onion or the Babylon Bee or the rumor that Elon Musk is going to be buying the lions. I know that's all our prayer. If he could just buy the lions and fix it, it would make everything better, but that's not going to happen. It's all fake news, right? And we're talking about the phrases that we've heard outside the church and inside the church that aren't in the Bible at all. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about a shepherd boy named David. And if you've been in the church for a long period of time, you've heard of this future king. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, David is out with his dad's sheep, and he's been shepherding for many years. He's about 15 at this point, and Saul, who, or excuse me, Samuel, who is the last judge of the time, comes to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the future king of Israel. And as he's speaking to Jesse, he looks at all of Jesse's sons, and God says, none of these boys. And finally, Samuel says, do you have another son? And well, Jesse says, yeah, I have my youngest. He's, he's down with the sheep. Well, bring him on. And as soon as David walks in, Samuel knew that this was the one that God wanted to anoint as the future king of Israel. Fast forward to chapter 17. I would say David is about 18, 19 years old, still a teenager, still shepherding his father's sheep. And there is now a war going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. And the Philistines, during this battle, bring out the big guns. And that is Goliath. He's nine feet tall. He has an armor of, armor of bronze, weapons that the Israelites had probably never seen before. And he said, I challenge one of you to take me on. And if you kill me, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill you, then you are our slaves. Well, at that point, all the Israelites are scared, and they kind of wander and freak out for about 40 days. Sound familiar? And back at home, Jesse grabs David and says, hey, your brothers are fighting down um, at the battlefield. I need you to take them some food. 
David goes down, he takes some food, and he's wondering why there's really not a battle going on and why the Israelites are just kind of scattered and, and freaking out. And then it's explained to him about Goliath. And they said, no one will take him down, but if someone can take him down, King Saul will give him a wife. He'll exempt his, his family from taxes. And David says, well, I'll do it. Pick me. I'll take him down. They usher him to King Saul, and King Saul says, are you, are you sure about this? And David says, listen, I have been shepherding my dad's sheep for a long time, and every time a sheep is taken by a lion or a bear, I have been able to take them out of their mouths, rip them from their teeth. I have killed lions. I have killed bears. I can take down Goliath. Now, the mom in me says, what was Saul thinking by allowing David to go and fight this giant as an 18-year-old boy? But maybe after 40 days, he was just exhausted. I don't know. But Saul says, okay, go ahead. Take him down. And with just a slingshot and five stones, he approaches the battlefield. And this is where we pick up 1 Samuel 17, verse 41. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is what we call Israeli smack talk. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Verse 48. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And that day, as a teenage boy... David miraculously took down a nine-foot giant covered in bronze. And as we continue our series on fake news, a phrase that is often heard inside the church and outside the church, I actually just heard it in a TV show this week, and that is, God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that phrase? Or maybe God only helps those that help themselves? This phrase actually dates back to the Roman Greco area. The Greeks would often say the gods only help those who help themselves. And 82% of the population, according to Barner Research, 82% Christians and non-Christians believe that that phrase is actually in Scripture. But it's not. We do not find that phrase in Scripture. And, and I understand why people hold to that ideology because it makes sense, right? I mean, if I'm going to go to the God of the whole universe, shouldn't I be working pretty hard in order 
to expect anything back in return. And even in scripture, we see areas where God wants us to move first. Second Thessalonians says, hey, you don't work, you don't eat. James says, faith without works is dead. David in the book of Psalms says, when we call on God for help, he heals us. So I get why we think that. But that phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is fake news. Kind of. Because it's a half-truth. But half-truth, even in a court of law, is still considered a lie. If you are going on the witness stand in a court of law, you are asked, do you promise to tell the whole truth, or the truth, the whole truth, and... Yeah, you've all seen Law and Order. Okay. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because anything less than the whole truth is then a half-truth, which is then a lie. God helps those who help themselves is a half-truth. Take, take Abraham, for example, in the Old Testament. Abraham and his wife Sarah, they go to Egypt, and Abraham presents his wife as his sister, which is true. She is his sister, but she is also his wife, which he fails to mention, which makes it a half-truth. And because he, the Egyptian, or excuse me, the Egyptian leaders were led to believe that he was, or she was just his sister, it almost got them into a lot of trouble. And if you're new to the faith today and you, you're saying to yourself, oh my gosh, there's a guy in the Bible that married his sister. Yes, it's true, but it's not what God expects of us today. That's a whole nother message. All right. I just want to clarify. It's a half truth because God does require us to work. He does require us to work hard, but he does not require us to work alone. He does not require us to work, then ask for him for help. He requires us to work together. To be dependent on him, not independent from him. And instead of saying, God helps those who help themselves, I like the way Christianity.com rephrases it, and that is, God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. Because... Really, we cannot do anything in our own strength. We're just human beings. And anything that God calls us to do, he wants to partner with us in it. And we are imperfect. We are broken. And that's exactly what God wants because it's in that imperfection, it's in that brokenness, then God can start doing the miraculous. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being independent. But the problem comes when we are independent from God. We start to then believe we don't have access to God's goodness, his love, his sovereignty, his grace. And that's not true. God loved us first. But what happens when we decide to work independently from God? First thing is we expect perfection. We expect perfection out of ourselves and we expect perfection out of other people. And I'm guilty of this. I have fallen into that perfectionism trap. But when you expect yourself to be perfect, you put that bar up so high that you can't reach it. And then you expect other people to go up that high. 
And if you are expecting perfection out of other people, you're, you're sitting here going, why aren't you seeking perfection? Why aren't you striving as hard as I am? And that will cause friction in between your marriages, your kids, your work relationships. And then we start judging who deserves God's grace and who doesn't. When really we don't know. We don't know the whole picture of everybody's life. We don't know God's whole picture of what he's trying to do. God expects our excellence. That's what he wants out of us. I had one of my kids, I was helping with homework a couple weeks ago, and they said, Mom, I, 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 I just feel like you're expecting me to be perfect at my grades. I said, no, I'm expecting excellence because I know that that is inside of you. I will never expect perfection out of you, but I do expect excellence because I know you can do it. Once we exhaust ourselves trying to be perfect and setting the bar so high, we then burn out. And I know that there are those of you in here that barely made it to church with a smile on your face. And it is because you are exhausted and you are broken and you've believed the lie that in order for you to deserve a break, you have to physically break yourself. That's not, that's not what God wants for his kids. That's why there's a Sabbath day. God requires us to work and work hard, but he also wants us to rest. That's why in creation, on the seventh day, God rested as an example for us to also have that rest. To be hard workers, but to not be workaholics. And if you strive for perfection and you burnt yourself out, you will eventually say, why try? Why should I even try? And many times you'll quit. And when God asks you to step out in faith, you're going to say, no, why try? I couldn't do it the first time. Well, you couldn't do it the first time because you were thinking that the only way that God would help you is if you did it on your own. And you quit. I'll give you a, a radio tip or a radio secret. If you, if you didn't know, I work at a local radio station. Someone this morning came to me and they're like, are you the radio girl? I said, yeah, I'm the radio girl. And this is across secular and Christian radio. When you hear a radio personality say, hey, I'm giving away tickets to, I don't know, for king and country, give me a call, I want the fifth caller. Do you know only 2% of listeners call in? That's it, 2%. And I understand there are some people that say, well, I don't want tickets to that concert or I'm going to be gone. But one of the main reasons why people don't call in is they say, why try? There's going to be so many people calling in, I don't have a chance. Nope, 2% of listeners. So next time I give away tickets on air, all y'all better be calling me. Okay, because I'm saying there's a chance. You expect perfection out of yourself and other people. You burn yourself out. You end up quitting. And then comes the martyr complex. What's a martyr? You shout it out to me. What's a martyr? 
Thank you. Someone who dies for their belief. And right now across the world, we have more Christian martyrs than any other time in history. But just because we work really hard in our own strength does not make us a martyr. It's called the martyr complex. And we're working in our own strength. We begin to self-sacrifice, not because we're trying to help other people around us, but now we've taken on the victim complex. Look at how hard I work. Look at what I'm sacrificing. And really, what you're doing is expecting praise in return. And when you are expecting praise, then God's not getting any of the glory. And what happens is your pride inflates, your ego inflates. And the Bible said, Bible says that pride comes before the fall. My husband and I, we knew a youth pastor years ago, so gifted. He was very charismatic, an excellent public speaker, natural born leader. People were just naturally drawn to him. But he started relying on his gifts and not the gift giver. He started expecting perfection out of himself and out of the people around him, burning himself out, making himself out to be a victim. His, in, his ego began to inflate bigger and bigger, and that cost him his job. That was 15 years ago. Today, he is still not serving the Lord, all because he decided that he needed to do the work first before he would rely on God for help. If you could go ahead and scroll to Romans chapter 5. When David went to the battlefield, he told Saul, listen Saul, I can take down this giant because I have had so much practice with my father's sheep rescuing them from lions and, and bears. I can take down the beast Goliath. But what happened when David went out into the field? with just a slingshot and some stones. He walked out and he said, I come to you in the name of myself. No. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And he took down a nine-foot giant with just a slingshot and a stone, not because he helped himself first. God helped David because David knew he couldn't do it himself. The fact that David was able to take down this giant was nothing short of miraculous. All because David realized he could not help himself. And I'll wrap up with this. Oh, wait, no, I won't. Ha, psych! (laughs) Romans chapter 5. Bible says faith without works is dead. And I get that. We have to take action. We need to be working. But God shows us that we cannot do this life without him. And he shows us that through his son, Jesus. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, it says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And the endurance helps strength of our character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts 
with his love. Get this. When we were utterly helpless. Helpless. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now the most people would not, or not, excuse me, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God didn't send his one and only son to die a painful death because we first helped ourselves. It's because we were helpless. And out of his love, he moved first. When we come to Christ, we don't come to Christ because we helped ourselves first and now we feel that we deserve God's salvation. When we come to Christ and we become Christians, it's because we realize that we cannot help ourselves. Now I will wrap up with this. George Washington Carver was a slave, former slave turned scientist. And during the early 1900s, the agricultural economy in the South, it was struggling with the weevil bugs in the cotton crops. And those of you that are farmers or you garden every year, you know that our crops need to be rotated because putting the same crops in the soil year after year, it pulls out certain nutrients and it attracts bugs. And that's what was happening in the South with the cotton crops. And George Washington Carver was the first one to introduce crop rotation. And he convinced the farmers, the cotton farmers, to rotate their cotton crops with peanuts. And it worked. They had an overabundance of peanuts that year, so much so that in the storage rooms they began to rot. Because really, outside of peanut butter in the circus, what, what do you need with peanuts? There's no other use. And now the farmers are upset, and rightfully so, and they're going to George and they're saying, hey, listen, you told us to rotate these crops, but we're losing money now. They're all rotting. And George, who had a strong relationship with Jesus did what he did every single morning. And that was he got up and at 4 a.m. he went out into the woods to pray. My alarm clock doesn't even have a 4 a.m. This shows you how spiritual he is. He goes out and he always asks God to reveal himself through his creation. Speak to me, God, through your creation. And as he's going through this peanut debacle, he asks God, he said, God, why did you create the universe? And the Lord spoke to him. He said, nope, your mind is too small for that. Ask for something smaller. He said, okay, Lord, why did you create the earth? And God said, nope, that's, that's, your mind is much too small. Okay. God, why did you create man? That's, George, that's too big of a question. Ask for something smaller. All right, God, why did you create plants? George, that's still far too much. Your mind is much too small. Ask for something smaller. And finally, George said, God, why did you create the peanut? And this is what he recorded. God said to him, yes, for your modest proportions, I will grant you the mystery of the peanut. 
take it inside your laboratory and separate it into water, fats, oils, gums, resins, sugars, starches, and amino acids. Then recombine under the three laws of compatibility, temperature, and pressure. Then you will know why I made the peanut. I don't understand half of what God just said to him. But Carver knew. And he took his Bible, and he took peanuts, and he went to his laboratory. And in January of 1921, on behalf of the United Peanut Association of America, yes, that is a real thing. I promise I looked it up. He presented in front of the House Ways and Means Committee, which is a branch off of U.S. Congress, 300 new ways to use the peanut. Ways that had never been used before. Shaving creams, lotions, wood stain, fertilizer, makeup, chili sauce, Worcestershire sauce, glue, insulation, and much more. Carver was a very intelligent man, but his intelligence was limited. He worked hard, but he prayed harder. He did all the research. He did everything in his own power, but he knew that his power was limited. And Carver, God didn't help Carver because Carver first helped himself. God helped Carver because Carver realized that he couldn't do it himself. He couldn't help himself, and he needed to partner with God to find out how do we solve the overabundance of peanuts. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. And if you could bow your head for me, please. If you are in here today and you say, I've never trusted God with anything. Not even a Christian. I just showed up today. Somebody invited me. But if you're at that place where you say, I I would like to partner with God for the rest of my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand if you would like to become a Christian today? All right, put your hand down. I'll address that in a moment. For the rest of us, I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable. And that is, those, there are those of you in here that came in with burdens incredibly heavy on your shoulders. And I'm going to ask you to do something uncomfortable, and that is, will you trust God that he is bigger than that situation? Will you trust that God wants to take that burden from your shoulder? I don't know what it is. It could be something financial. I mean, you are looking up at broke, and you just need a breakthrough. You could be going through a divorce. It could be health issues. Whatever it is, whatever that burden is, if God is laying a burden on your heart that you need to allow him to control, will you raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. God, you see these people, and you know You know what is in their hearts. You know the burden that is in their lives. And I thank you, God, that they want to partner with you. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to help ourselves before we come to you, God. But you help those who realize they cannot help themselves. And God, we cannot help ourselves. So I pray for strength in these situations. I pray that burden would be lifted. I pray of the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
And God, I'm looking forward to hearing testimonies of what you're going to do in each one of these people's lives because they are partnering with you on this situation. Let's take a moment and let's worship God. Thank you once again for joining me on this week's episode of the Meek on a Purpose podcast. And if you are ever interested in some of my other messages, you can head on over to racheljenneman.com. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I'll see you right back here next week.